blessed to know that you folks have, and uh, we are so thankful you're here. It's good to have Brother Michael's mother, Rosa, and Brother Matthew here, and just thrilled to get to meet both of them and have them here. She came, they came to our Redeemers last night, and they walked away with all the prizes. And we had Bible trivia, and, and they uh, made us look bad, but we were thankful for their visit. Amen. Jared, it's good to have you home. Lord bless you. We've been praying many prayers for you. Praise God. I don't know if I'm overlooking anyone else. It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. And his presence is really the, main, the only reason why we're here. We're not here to be seen or heard by one another or look at one another or make a friend. Though those things do happen, we're here to worship the Lord. We're here to be blessed by his presence. I want to get you uh, to follow me into the word of the Lord here, if I might. Reading from the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, verse number 14, we'll start. This is going to be a little bit lengthy, but uh, I believe if we can get through this lengthy reading, uh, we'll be just fine. Matthew 25 and verse 14, I'll give you a moment, I hear pages turning. You know, anymore you come to church and page is turning and you, that sound is getting uh, less and less. We all have devices and the screens. I still like a leather-bound Bible in my hand. It just feels right, doesn't it? Amen. Except that I can't stretch the font and see it anymore. That's the problem. Amen. All right. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. I'm going to stop right there. This man distributed his goods to his servants, and he did so based on his belief in their abilities. It says to their several abilities. That means that's what he thought their abilities were. He assumed or he knew them well enough. And then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two also gained another two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five, saying, Lord, thou didiest unto me deliveredest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many other things. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strown. And I was afraid. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, You're a wicked 
and slothful servant. Thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strown. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take, therefore, the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I told you it would be long. Thank you for standing. Uh, I know that when we have these long readings and texts about halfway through, I, I, if I look up, I see glazed eyes. Uh, you've already you've already given up on me, but uh, we got through it. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We have a, a culture uh, that is peculiar to say the very least. They say that this current culture and this current generation that we are experiencing began around eighty one or eighty two. They call them the millennials. We have a few millennials in here, but not very many. Uh, most of um, us were born a long time before that. We're not even going to talk about that, but we, most of us were born. And some of us might be considered baby boomers, and others are Generation X. And So I don't know where I fell in all of that, but we have a current culture and climate where we have produced a generation who are educated, and uh, many of them are, are productive. But it's a, uh, by and large, it's a culture that does not want to be accountable for anything. They, um, are, and I'm not going to say they, but uh, this culture uh, is only interested in what makes them feel good about themselves. And so we create safe places and safe spaces where nothing can be said or done to hurt anyone's feelings. Whether they've done good or bad, doesn't matter. It's just the effort. And so we award everybody with a trophy, whether they've exceeded or succeeded or not. And this climate has generated a mindset that says nobody should ever tell me what to do. You've, you've experienced this, I'm sure. We have uh, a, a culture war where if you're on the right side of the struggle and the battle, you can say whatever you want to about the other side. But if you're on the wrong side of the culture war, war, you have to be very careful what you say because you can't uh, be viewed as being offensive, and they'll even call it hate speech and other very provocative terms. But the overall uh, mentality of our culture and world is don't tell me what to do, and don't you dare try to hold me accountable. As I was preparing for this uh, a day or so ago, I just I do internet searches and and I always get led to YouTube. If y'all don't like YouTube, y'all have to forgive me, okay? I enjoy YouTube. And I was watching. Um, there's this fellow, and y'all gonna really know about me now. There's this fellow on YouTube. He's a bounty hunter. Y'all probably seen if y'all like YouTube. But uh, I watched him in one of these videos. He caught a young lady he'd been looking for. And she was probably 20 to 25. She hadn't been paying her uh, fines to the court or whatever. 
And he finally caught up with her. And he says, sweetheart, we're going to have to take you back to jail. And she began to cry and she began to kick and she began to say, I have to have my cat. I need my cat because I'm upset. And I laughed and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. That's what she needed. She needed her cat because somebody was making her unhappy for the moment. That's our generation. That's our world. Don't say or do anything that's going to make me feel bad. But I'm going to tell you something. There are some principles in the Word of God that make us understand that we will all stand before the judgment throne of God. And we will all answer for every word and every idle word, every idle thought that we have ever spoken or has gone through our brain. And the things that have been put under the blood, they'll, be, they'll remain there. But we will give account for everything that we said, have said and done. And so if you're a millennial person, if you're one of those crowds, I want to break some bad news to you. Somebody's going to tell you what to do one of these days, and you're going to have to do it. And I hope and pray that it's the word of the Lord that brings a word of instruction to you, and you hear it and abide by it, and you love it, and you embrace it, because the Bible says that every knee is going to bow. Every knee will bow. Every one of us in this room, we're going to either here in this present world or in judgment, we're going to bow, and we're going to humble ourselves to the words of the Lord. I choose to do it now. I choose to do it right here, right now. Lord, whatever I have to do, let me hold myself in accountability to you and your word. I don't want to wait and, and get to judgment and be, have, have judgment and accountability forced on me. I want to humble myself right here, right now in this life, and, and I want to say, Lord, Whatever you want with me, I want to submit to it. Whatever you want with my life, however you want me to live, however you want me to conduct myself, that's what I want right here, right now, because I, I want to do it willingly and not by force. So we have a generation that does not want to be accountable. If you were a school teacher, if you know one, you might ask them. It's an epidemic in the schools uh, with children who don't want to be obedient. Uh, we took God out of our schools, and then we took corporal punishment out of our schools, and now we have murder and mayhem in our schools. You'd think we would have learned by now, but that's the generation we are a part of. But I'm going to tell you this morning that when the people of God learn to make themselves accountable to God and his word, it changes the entire relationship between ourselves and God and even our fellow man. So I'm going to talk to you about some areas of responsibility that uh, are important for Christians uh, if you want to be accountable to God. Now these three men in our text, uh, they had different levels of accountability. The one with five took those five talents and used them and got gain, brought them back to his master. The one with two did the same. Both of them were rewarded with blessings. The one who didn't do anything and just thought he could uh, ignore the instructions of his master. He was cast into outer darkness. So there are consequences for our behavior. Um, most of us are old enough in here to remember spankings. Yeah, Sarah probably not old enough to remember that, but 
most of us in here are old enough to remember spankings. And we knew growing up that there were certain things that we might do and get by with it, but there were certain other things that if we crossed that line, we were going to have a serious conversation with the Board of Education. There are consequences, and whether our culture and our time wants to deal with consequences, we're going to have to deal with them. And so I want to speak to you about a few things here that are important for us to understand if, if we want to stand in judgment with a clean heart and a clean hope of heaven. There are some things about us that must be very Christian. The words that we speak, the things that we say, are very telling about what's going on inside of us. The Bible says that the, the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart. I was talking to a preacher this week, and he says sometimes the mouth speaks or so much that the ear, or the ear, and I can't say it exactly like he did, he said your ears are hearing what your mouth is saying because of what's in your heart, and it just becomes a vicious cycle over and over again. I believe some of that. The words that we speak, the things that we say, have a very telling effect upon the condition of our soul. Amen. What we talk about tells the world where we are at with God, our relationship with God. I have, I have not very often, if ever, heard a very prayerful person forget they're a prayerful person and just cuss like a sailor. Now, I've heard a few that hadn't prayed recently slip up. But the words that we say, the things that we speak, are very telling about what is going on inside of us. One of the things that we do when we speak is we either speak truth or we speak untruth. The Bible uh, teaches very specifically about lying. Now, nobody's lied to me this week that I know of, so I'm not directing this towards anybody, but I thought it would be important here to focus on this because it's part of the things that we say. Um, and this, these are the things that we'll be held accountable for when we stand before the Lord. Uh, a lot of things that we say are either truth or untruth, and there's many levels of that. White lies. You ever told a white lie? Yeah, we've all told a white lie. Some, we've told some whoppers too, hadn't we? And we've told some whoppers so big that we didn't even believe them ourselves. And we knew the person we were telling them to didn't believe them. But we just, you know, like we're falling and we can't shut up. We just keep telling that whopper. And then we've told some white lies. And then the worst, I believe, of lies is those lies of omission. Where somebody comes up and says, Brother David Allen, that's the prettiest green shirt I've seen ever. And you just nod your head and say, yeah, thank you. No, that's a kind of a far-fetched example. You let someone, intentionally let someone believe something, uh, especially about yourself, that you know is not true. And you just let them go on. When you could, you could say, well, thank you, but the truth is. So there's all kinds of things that happen, and the things that we talk about, the things we don't say. And I believe the Bible is very specific that we should speak the truth. The words that come out of our mouth should be words of truth. And we should, uh, as an, in an effort to be credible and to be accountable to God, we should be honest in everything that we do. The Bible teaches 
uh, a lot about dishonesty. Go back into the Old Testament. The law was, it was built into the Old Testament law that they were commanded to have a just weight and a just scale. They weren't, they weren't supposed to be dishonest in dealing with one another. And, and that teaching has, has brought, been brought forward into the New Testament into our lives. We should be honest in everything that we do. I love the old Norman Rockwell pictures. If you old-timers remember, he was a painter back, way back in the day. And the little picture of the little boy at the meat market looking up, and he's weighing meat for this little boy, and he's got his finger on the scale. Just adding a little bit to the price of that meat. And it was all, it's funny. It's a, it's a funny picture. But it speaks to a character issue when we, dis, when we conduct ourselves in a dishonest fashion. The Bible says you let your yeas be yea and your nays nay. And to deal honestly with your fellow man. Can I get amen on that? Amen. And... Not only that, but it speaks of corrupt communication. The Bible speaks of corrupt communication. Uh, that's just, in my estimation, that's just vulgarity. Things that ought not be spoken of in public or even in private. Uh, the Bible says that there are some things that the world has gotten into that it is a shame for us to speak of in privately, in private. And if Ephesians said... Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. When you get the Holy Ghost, it all make you quit telling dirty jokes. And if you're still having a problem with that, maybe you need to go back to the altar and get a good renewing of the Spirit of the Lord in your life because the Bible says, let no corrupt thing come out of your mouth. I think we're all uh, at some point guilty of any one of these points. Lying, uh, speaking out of school, speaking things that are not truthful, speaking words that are hurtful. And these things... Uh, speak to our credibility as Christians. In Antioch, they called them Christians the very first time because their lifestyle was an example of how Jesus lived, and we're supposed to be Christians. And if we're not Christians now, we're going to stand before God, and he's going to open the books, and he's going to begin to read every idle word, every every uh, thing that we said or did, or every unkind thing. We're, we're going to stand uh, in uh, judgment for those things. And our generation doesn't want to hear that. Don't, don't tell me that I have to speak kindly or speak truth because uh, my truth is different than your truth. That's the silliest thing I ever heard in my life. On one hand, they tell us, well, science doesn't lie. Science is hard, cold facts. It doesn't lie. And then on the other hand, they're saying, but, but this is my truth and you can have your truth. Well, it's hot this morning. Well, it wasn't hot when I got to church this morning. It might be for you right now, but it was kind of cold. And we don't get to have our own truths. Truth is truth. God's word is truth. Amen. And so the things that we say and do speak to our credibility as Christians. I want to be a good Christian. I know I'm far from perfect. I'm probably the least perfect person in this room today. Uh, you folks are all so wonderful and and I, I, I'm amazed at each and every one of you, and I know all of my imperfections, so I will say that I'm the least imperfect person here today. 
or the most imperfect person. No, I'm not the least imperfect. I'm the most imperfect. <laughs> See, I told you. But I want to be a Christian. Don't you want to be a good Christian? Amen. I, I, I hope and pray that we have so much of the Holy Ghost inside of us that when we go into the businesses around town, they don't say, well, there's the Pentecostals. Or, or there's those folks that, that have, wear the dresses and talk into. I hope they say, there's those Christian people. The people who really live like they teach that you should live. That's so important. And if we don't, well, we'll stand before the Lord. And he'll say, look, I gave you opportunities. I gave you talents. I gave you um, resources. And you didn't take advantage of it. And so he'll take what he's given from us. Now, there's certain accountability issues with God that we need to understand. Uh, and I've mentioned briefly that we will, we will stand in judgment. We have a choice here. We can either answer to God now or answer to God at judgment. Uh, that will happen one way or the other. One way or the other. It's like, it's like uh, being pulled over on the highway by a police officer. Uh, you can either uh, admit that you were speeding or whatever the, the charge is, and take your lumps, or he'll take you to jail, and you'll take your lumps anyway. Or the judge will get involved, and then you'll take additional lumps. So you might as well, we might as well learn to really, to, to make ourselves live in an honest and an accountable fashion. You must always be prepared to answer to God. Every time we come to church, the preaching goes forward. The Bible says that it was foolish preaching that he choose, chose to use to, to save people. And every time we come to church, the preaching of the word goes forward. And so many times when, when one of the ministers is preaching, that word from the Lord will speak directly to somebody or all of us in the building. And there will be a moment where conviction will speak in our life. And, and we have a choice. Do I listen to this? Do I respond to this? Do I get some things in my heart made right with God, or do I reject this? Either way, we will be accountable. We can make ourselves accountable. We can hear the word of the Lord and say, Lord, that's me. That preacher's reading my mail. He's right there in my life. And, Lord, I'm going to get some things straightened out right now. Or we can stand in judgment. Either way, we will be accountable. Always be prepared to answer God, either here or there, you're going to answer to God. Amen. Romans 14 says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Not just some of us, not a few of us, not most of us, not just those on one side of the world or the other. Every one of us will give account to the Lord. There are times when we resist being accountable to God. I have a few examples here that came to my mind. There are a few, maybe many, but I have a few listed here of things that make us resist the voice of God. Anybody here ever knew that the Lord spoke to you? I, I, I have had those experiences. I never heard a voice. and Some people say they hear a voice. I've never heard a voice. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not discounting anyone else's experience, but there's a lot of times when the Lord puts things in my heart, I read the Bible, I pray, and all of a sudden I get this feeling in my heart, and I know the Lord's dealing with me. You've had those moments? 
I think everybody had, everybody who prays and reads your Bible probably has had those moments. Then there are times when I feel the Lord's dealing with me, and my flesh is not really ready to have the Lord speak. You're not really tired and sick of that issue yet. You're not through with it, and the Lord's dealing with you about it. The Lord's saying, you know, you really ought to uh, quit smoking dope. I'm trying to get something very extreme here so nobody will be mad at me. And you're sitting there puffing on it, and you say, I'm not ready yet. Lord, let me finish this one. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? And sometimes we're resistant or reticent to respond to the Lord because we have a guilty conscience that we are not willing to submit and humble to his word. And we don't want to be accountable right now. Maybe tomorrow, Lord, come back at, at a different time, at a different season. Maybe things will be different then because we're not ready to let our guilt and our conscience be broken and humbled in the presence of the Lord. And sometimes, we're just like I mentioned with the, the crazy example, sometimes we're hiding bad behavior, or we think we're hiding bad behavior. I'm going to tell you, uh, none of us are hiding anything from the Lord. Nothing. Not one thing. You can hide it from your husband or your wife or the preacher or the boss, the neighbors. You can hide it from everybody, but you're not hiding one thing from God. He knows the very number of hairs on your head, and for some of us that's something. Others, it's not a very big deal there, but, but he knows everything about you. It says he's, his word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's pretty scary right there. He understands and discerns the very thoughts even those things we don't put into words. And sometimes we're hiding bad choices and bad behavior, and we think we've pulled the wool over God's eyes. And I'm telling you, you haven't fooled God. You haven't fooled him. At some point, either in this life or when you stand before him, he's going to say, now remember this choice. Remember this behavior. You thought you had pulled that one over my eyes, pulled the wool over my eyes. You thought you'd got by with it, but you hadn't. We're going to talk about it right here in judgment. I don't want, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to stand there and, and the Lord say, now, you didn't listen to me. You didn't, uh, you didn't humble yourself. Now you're going to humble yourself in judgment. Sometimes we're not willing to be accountable to God because we have associations that... Uh, we know we're shady at best, and we know that when we begin to respond to the conviction of the Holy Ghost, that spirit working in us is going to make us lose some associations. Did your mama ever tell you uh, uh, when you was a kid, now, you better not go to this and name a location? I remember uh, just share with you a story that we were talking about this weekend. Uh, my mother-in-law, many years ago, was struggling, a single mom. She was raising, after Pam and I married, two teenage boys. They were like 13 and 14. And um, they were going astray. Now, they've improved and grown up now, but they were going astray. And one day, they couldn't be found, and she had an idea where they was at. And so Pam and I and her were in the car. And she pulled up in front of this little roadside biker bar. And understand, I'm 22 years old. I'm wearing black double-knit breeches and a white long-sleeve preacher shirt. 
And she saw those boys. They had trucks when they were 13, 14 years old. That was part of the problem. And she saw their pickups out there, and she said, I'm not going in there. Pam says, I'm not going in there. And they looked at me, and I said, well, I guess I'm going in there. I never will forget. I, I walked up there in my long sleeve white preacher shirt and my black slacks, and I pulled that old ragged door open, and I stepped up inside that bar. It's like a vacuum hit the place. It just sucked the life out of it. I mean, everything, the music went off. Everybody stood up and looked, and, and I saw those two boys over there at a pool table, and, man, they hit the floor, and they crawled out the back door of that bar, and by the time I got outside, they were already in their truck and gone. Sometime when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, it makes you change the places you hang out, the people you hang out with. And if you don't, if you don't accept the fact that living for God, you'll lose some friends and some associations along the way. Not that you want to be unkind or that you think you're better than anyone else because we know we're no better than anybody. But we also know that I'm going to have to stand before God and I'm going to have to give account for my words and my actions and, and I can't run with certain crowds and expect to maintain my example as a Christian. I already spoke of one of the issues. Uh, many times we don't want to be accountable because we have told something that's not true and then we're locked into that. Um, I remember mom telling me that if you ever lie, then you have to tell another lie. And then you have to lie to cover that lie. And before long, you've lied so much that you can't even remember what you're lying about anymore. Yeah. I guess as children, we did that. As adults living for the Lord, we should be very careful of that. Another issue, and I will just pass by this very carefully. Another issue that I thought would be applicable to um, uh, being accountable to God is in the area of ish, uh, stewardship because that in part is what the text was about. This man trusted these servants with his talents, and we are led to believe because it spoke of usury and, and getting return that this talents probably was in the form of money. And so I thought it would be important that we mention that part of being accountable is being a good steward. Matthew 25 and 21 says, The Lord said unto him, Well done. For thou, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. And then he said to the last one, he said, you ought to have been faithful. You ought to have done right. And you didn't. So now you're going to be cast into outer darkness. Outer darkness is kind of symbolic gesture for saying you're going to hell, buddy. In modern terms. Yeah, outer darkness. Can you imagine what outer darkness would be? Anything else? And the, the master said, you ought to have done right. You ought to have been a steward. You ought to have handled this well. Those who did are being blessed, and you ought to have done better. In 1 Kings, the Shunammite woman um, was an impressive uh, story that we read because she was gathering sticks to burn a fire to cook her last cake for herself and her son. And it just like the preacher to come along and say, hey, hey, before y'all eat that, let me fix me something first. Hey, feed me first. If, it, if that's all you got, make sure you put my plate out there first. 
And this woman, the story amazes me, that she had faith and obedience and submission or whatever her characteristics were, that she actually did what the preacher commanded her to do. She fixed him that cake first. And, and I've often used this example. I picture that little boy sitting over there. He's so hungry. He sees that preacher eating that cake, and he's licking his lips, and his stomach's growling, and, and he knows that was the last of it. And he's got an opportunity here to get a little angry and bitter with the preacher. But when she went back and she looked over in that barrel, there was just enough meal for another cake. And she looked over in that cruise where the oil was, and she saw there was just enough in the bottom of it to make one more. And the Bible says that as long as the famine lasted, because she was accountable and faithful, that her needs were met every day. If only we could understand that if I open up my heart and my life and I say, God, look down deep inside of me to the every secret part and place. And Lord, I'm not leaving anything hidden from you. I'm, I want to come clean with you. I want to make my entire life transparent before you. All of a sudden, we can stand up tall and straight, throw our head back. We've got things that we're ashamed of, but we don't live in shame. Catch that. That's, that's pretty amazing. We have things we're ashamed of, but we don't live in shame because we've opened up our hearts and said, Lord, this is all the secrets I've got here. I'm not going to have, and the Bible says some men's, go before, sin, some men's sin go before and others follow after. Lord, I want mine dealt with right here, right now. Lord, I want to open up my heart. Lord, if there's something there that I'm not seeing, if there's something you want to change about me, you speak to my heart. Give me a verse in the Bible. Deal with my soul because I want to deal with my issues and my sins right here today. And that poor little Shunammite woman, she couldn't afford to feed the preacher, but she did. God blessed her. Now, I'm not expecting anybody to feed me today, uh, but if you want to. If you want to, I mean, okay. She couldn't afford it. It was inconvenient. It was a sacrifice. It could possibly have meant that she would watch her child starve to death. Think of that. Can you imagine watching your child just become emaciated and drying up and withering away from starvation? Can you, most horrible, long series of sufferings. But she did. And the Lord said, you've been faithful over a little I'll make you faithful over a Lord over much. Uh, now, also, uh, there's something about uh, accountability that requires presence. Not Christmas presence, but I mean presence like your presence. You have to be present in order to be accountable to God. Does that make sense? In other words, and I don't mean you have to be in this church building because there are other church buildings that are dedicated to the service of the Lord and they preach truth, but you have to be present in the presence of the Lord in order for there to be an, a moment of honesty and truth and, and accountability. Um, it's hard for, and this is kind of uh, with any organization, if you have a boss on your job that doesn't ever show up but calls in every two or three weeks to tell you what to do, you're kind of going to be ineffective and unsuccessful. But now if they show up at first every morning and they're the last to leave in the afternoon and they're leading, well, then there most likely will be some success. 
some commerce, some money being made. And the more money the business makes, the more the employees. Because you had somebody who was present when it was important. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to be the kind of Christian that I'm talking about this morning, you have to be present with God. You can't just be uh, that person that, that prays once a month or, or even once a week. Um, you can't be that person that goes to church when it's, you have nothing better to do because it's in the house of the Lord where we come together that we worship Him, we praise Him, and we are fed from the Scripture. You have to be present if you want to be accountable to God. And I don't, I'm going to say it again, I'm not talking about being present, sitting in the pews, but that's important too. The Bible even tells us in Hebrews that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together because it's, it's in the coming together, the corporate worship and the corporate uh, praise and teaching of the Word that we get instruction, we get strength. The Bible even says we're overcomers by the words of our testimony. That means that sometimes what God has done for you and you share it and tell what God did, um, it encourages me. Sister Carol had a miracle this week. I won't say anything about it because I don't know if it's permissible for me to or not. But she called me, cried on the phone, told me, absolute miracle. Can I tell that? Sister Carol's been having some doctor's visits. She's uh, on her own, her and Sue, for a while. And she's been going to the doctor. And they've been doing some testing. And um, the doctor called her this week and said, I need you in my office. And I'm sure Carol's first thoughts were fear, something to test to come back, something's bad. But she goes, and she gets to the doctor's office, and she's sitting, waiting on the doctor. The doctor came in. And the doctor said, and I think if I get this right, Carol, if I'm not right, you correct me. said, I don't have any test results for you, but I have something else for you. Sister Carol's living, and I, I mean this very respectfully, on nothing. Her husband's away for a while. They have no income. And the doctor said, I don't have any test results for you, but I have this for you. The doctor handed her five $100 bills. Out of the clear blue, this is not a family friend. This is, not, this is not somebody in the church. Her doctor said, I have this for you. That's a miracle. And you know what? We come together, and you say, well, I'm present this morning. Well, that's wonderful. You should be present this morning. And, but you need to be present in the sense that you're actually in this building spiritually and emotionally. Because when, the, when these kind of stories go up with Sister Carol's blessing and miracle, it ought to encourage the others in the room saying, you know what, I may be in that condition one day, and if God can do it for her, he can do it for me. I'm just going to tell you, if you want, if you want to be the Christian that we say we want to be, you've got to put yourself into the environment uh, where Christians are serving the Lord. We're, we're given, we give strength to one another. We give help to one another. And if you get out there all alone and you don't have others to encourage you and help you, somebody's going to come along in your life and somebody's going to fill that void. And they may not be a very good influence on you. And so you must be present in the presence of the Lord. If you can't feel conviction in, a, in a, most services or you can't feel the presence of the Lord, um, then maybe, maybe you got here in body, but you didn't get here in soul. Have you ever been so tired that you, and I'm going to be the first to confess, Wednesday nights a lot of times 
I said, Lord, do I have to go? Pam says, yes, you're the preacher. You have to go. And I, I see it in some of you sometimes on Sunday morning. You're here, and you got in the building, and you got to your favorite seat, but the rest of you still outside in the car taking a nap. I want to tell you what, if, if we understood the value of corporate worship and praise and being present in the presence of the Lord, forgetting everything that's outside this building, and come in here and say, Lord, you know my sins this week. Lord, you know everything I said and did this week. Lord, i got to get it right. Forgive me. I'm sorry. You've got to be present in the presence of the Lord. Another thing that helps you in your accountability to God is a regular prayer life. If you don't have a regular, consistent prayer life, there will be things that will get swept under the rug in your soul, things that will be forgotten until you stand at judgment. You don't want to forget things and then God remind you about them at judgment. You need a regular prayer life. And I'm, for most of us, all of us, I'm thinking that should be daily. We should all have a regular daily prayer time. Because if you're anything like the preacher, I get up early of a morning and I'm thinking, God, I'm so thankful for these fresh and new mercies that you give every day because yesterday was a rough one. Yesterday was pretty rough, Lord, and you've got to have a regular prayer life because you can't, you, can't, you can't influence your world if you haven't become what you say you are. A Christian is not just a title. Being a Christian is not just a name. It's not a title. It's a way of life. It's who you are. And say, so, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Jewish or I'm Muslim. Uh, that's, I understand all those things. But to be a Christian, that's not a, that's not a title. That's who you are. That speaks of character. It speaks of quality uh, in your spirit and soul. It becomes a way of life. And you can't get there without a regular prayer life. And you can't get there without studying the word of the Lord and, and putting it down deep in your heart. The psalmist said, thy word have I hidden in my heart that so I won't sin against it. And the only way that's ever going to happen is if you're praying and reading your Bible. Because if you don't, Something else will fill that void. In our world, Hollywood fills that void for a whole lot of people. I was in Walmart yesterday with Pam. And this little family came through. They didn't look to be of our faith at all. They just, just didn't look of our faith. And the gentleman was standing at the front door trying to sell subscriptions to one of these satellite TV companies. And we had already, we, we saw him coming in, and we already was looking away, and we was trying to slide, you know how you do, get away, salesman. And I'm standing there waiting on Pam to get a buggy, and this little family come through, and he, got, he locked in on them. Let me sell you a subscription to satellite TV. And the mom just, she tucked her head down, and she's going, and the teenage girl says, no, thank you, we don't have a TV. And I thought, my Lord. That's such a strange thing in our world, it seems. And he said, well, did you just move or what? She says, no, sir, we don't like them. I want to go over and shake their hand and congratulate them because Hollywood has filled such a void in people. And you know what? What used to be prayer time now is filled with other stuff. Not just that. There's a million other things besides that. Our minds, there's a war for our time 
and our attention and our minds. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Sometimes we have to pray continuously just to avoid the things that are calling at us. And the Bible also teaches us in James that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails a whole bunch. Amen. I want to stand clean before God today. I don't want to, I don't want to wait until judgment. To, I don't want to have him say, you should have repented. I talked to you. I convicted you, and you didn't respond. I want to get all that taken care of this morning, and I want to stand before God in cleanliness, purity. I know my righteousness, and the Bible says it, and I feel this way. My righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. But if I can just humble myself to him, and if I can just submit to him, be accountable to him today, there's going to be a blessing and reward down this road. Lord, bless you. Pray with me as you stand. Lord Jesus, we love you today. Help us, Lord, to put ourselves in a place where we're receptive to your word and we're accountable to you every day. Lord, don't let us resist your word. Don't let us resist the prompting of your spirit, the voice of conviction. Lord, we want to be clean. We want to be pure. We want to be righteous in this life. We need your help for that, God, because we know that we're not righteous.